an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1004. Um, I, I've been having an amazing time in Nashville, which is where I am right now when I'm recording this. You don't care about that, though, uh, where I record intros and outros. But uh, Nashville's an amazing town. I will be in Salt Lake City next week at, uh, at Wise Guys Comedy Club. So if you go to ID10T.com, you can get tickets and info for that. Oh, my God. You can hear how husky my voice is. I know when I've been <laughs> I've been doing songs in the shows, and, uh, and it, uh, it's fun. But it uh, thrashes the vocal cords. But then I can sound like this. So I guess that's a plus. Um, let's talk about the community corkboard right now for ID10T. Folk, events at ID10T.com is how you submit for that. Like Harold, who writes, after successfully funding a Pull Your Card music trivia, a hip-hop edition on Kickstarter, Pull Your Card is about to release our first expansion pack, the 90s hip-hop expansion. Pull Your Card is a multiple-choice trivia card game that includes skip, reverse, and pick any player cards. It can be found on Amazon by searching Pull Your Card or Hip Hop Trivia, or just go directly to PullYourCardTrivia.com. Valerie writes, I've been listening to the podcast forever. Thank you. Uh, and I thought this would be a great place to let everyone know about my audiobook, Chainsaw Honeymoon. I worked with author Stephen, Stephen Ramirez to bring this young adult story to life. Ruby, a bright, funny 14-year-old who loves shoes and horror movies, is on an insane mission to get her parents back together. But she can't do it alone. She needs her two best friends, her dog, an arrogant filmmaker, a bizarre collection of uh, actors, and a chainsaw-wielding movie killer. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, this YA comedy horror audiobook was a lot of fun to produce, and I hope those in the community love it as much as I do. You can find the audiobook on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Links are also on the website, ValerieVoiceOver.com. Contact information is also there if you'd like to work on a voiceover project together, she says. All right. Nicely done, Valerie. This episode is my friend uh, Dave Yarovesky, who um, directed Brightburn, uh, which you should absolutely go see. It, now, I don't know if you remember this or not. Dave was on the podcast a handful of years ago because he also directed a movie called The Hive, uh, which was a great indie horror movie. And I just... Dave is a great guy. He's a dear friend of mine, and I just think he has such a, an amazing, fresh voice in horror, and especially with this film, which is sort of like horror superhero genres mashed together. And so uh, support indie filmmakers, I say, in a sea of <laughs> giant, giant budget stuff. Like, make some room. Make some room for the, uh, for the indie guys. So uh, it was really great to have Dave back on. It's been so fun to see 
you know, what he's done the last few years uh, since the Hive, and I'm just super proud of him. Um, so I, uh, I now introduce you to episode number 1004, Dave Yarvesky, a.k.a. Yarvo, back on the Andy Tendi podcast to talk horror. Let's roll it. Initiating ID10T protocol. Did you do the Boo Crew? The Boo Crew. That's Those guys are great. Those guys are great. And Trevor's house is insane. Yeah. It, it kind of, the, the similar vibe where it's like this like little well, Trevor's, hidden room. Yeah, but Trevor's like, they've gone. They've gone crazy. So <laughs> into much cooler zone than here. I mean, here it's like, I don't know, that, that secret bookcase back into the studio. Yeah. And then, but his attention to detail too, because he basically has all these incredible portraits in that studio, but they're, I don't know if he explained it to you, but they're actually sound absorbers. Yes. So he found a way to, to like print really cool portraits onto absorption material or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, everything is, is not only aesthetically cool, but it's really functional too. Yeah. That's, that, that's kind of brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I didn't, I didn't do that. Uh, I didn't, Uh, I didn't go that far. I just, I just put the panels on the the ceiling there. Yeah. Yeah, but you have your own vibe, but but just it does feel like a little bit of a secret room. It is, a little yeah. Den, it is so. it, well, yeah, this room didn't exist. This room oh, was mean, just walled up. Oh yeah, I see that. Yeah, and, it's yeah, like concrete. And, yeah, it's concrete, and so I had it cool. dug out, and uh, and now it's the now it's the podcast room. I, I think a podcast should feel like a stylish bomb shelter. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say in case of <laughs> nuclear war. Well, you don't know. I could come in here and <laughs> podcast. You know, during the nuclear fallout. Yeah. Um, well, I, my plan was always if like nuclear war were to break out, that I'd drive to James's house and go into his cigar <laughs> cave. So <laughs> this place is closer. So <laughs> it's a little bit closer than having all closer, the way out yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, how are you? I'm good. Are we? Have we begun? Yeah, so, we. Okay, yeah, great. we're already recording. <laughs> good. I, I love that um, the studio sent me this great uh, Brightburn mask. Yeah. And it, it's uh, <laughs> it's actually a great – it's a well-crafted – Yeah. It's a well-crafted mask. Autumn made that by hand. Actually, it's, it's – She did? Yeah, yeah. It's funny how – it's funny how it works. Autumn, my wife, designed the costume for the movie and then the, and then the studio came to her, which to their credit because they could have just like shopped it out to like – you know, some factory that didn't care to just make a bunch and pump them out. But they went to her first and she said, I want to do them because I want them to look cool. And so she she made them. She made them in my dining room. I've been watching her make them. And then they sent it to you, which is really cool that here <laughs> how full circle we've, we've She come. did a top-notch job. I should probably post the picture then of because I didn't know how else to make my eyes red. So I put strawberry Kit Kats in, <laughs> in the eye holes to make my eyes look red. But it didn't really yeah. – it didn't quite capture – Not as scary. No, especially because you can see the the Kit Kat logos, yeah. and the Kit Kat logos on the package just make my eyes kind of look like derpy cartoon eyes, <laughs> and so it didn't really have the effect of mm. being a murderous alien child that I had hoped, yeah, um, that it would have. 
So yeah. I'm going to have to figure out. I'm going to figure out some other sort of appliance for the eyes. Maybe like red film or something in there so that I can still see through them. But it yeah. kind of like gives the impression mm. that. Uh, well, to be honest, you know, there's only red eyes in certain moments. So being just totally dark there also works. Yeah, but it's the, the red eyes. Is so the hard. red eyes yeah, is yeah, just yeah, a hard thing it. to not want. You need them, yeah. I mean, for people who are real nerds about the podcast, you came on when um, you did The Hive. Yes. Which is such a great movie. Thanks. And Thank you. as someone, and I'm going to pick your brain a lot because as someone who might try to make a horror movie, mm. I just need to know, because I think what one of the things that you're so amazing at doing is... You're 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 great at working with effects mm. on a budget. Yes, of being able to make effects look really cool without having you know 150 million dollars to yeah. uh, to to do that. So it's like your your films are able to feel uh, the stories feel intimate, but the movies feel a lot bigger <laughs> than what your budget should allow you to do. It's a big illusion. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> illusion. But you yeah. directed commercials for a long time. Didn't I directed you? commercials. I directed music videos. I learned a lot. Music videos is what really taught me how to like spend nothing and make it look bigger because we always had nothing, you know. And they would come to me and they'd be like, "Hey, we've got ten grand. Will you make a video for us?" And I, I wasn't doing anything, and I, I, I needed to <laughs> learn. And uh, so I was like, "Yeah, but but um, but that's nothing, you know." And and so. But but for for someone who's young and hungry and trying to learn the craft of, of filmmaking, uh, it's an opportunity. You know, it's a budget of something, and so figuring out how to be smart with money and 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 use it responsibly. Now now the truth is is that while I have developed, I guess, a, an ability to make things look like more money than they are, or to like, I guess, do effects on a budget. I hope to. You know, <laughs> not have to do not that have forever. to do that forever, and 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 hope to hope to one day have a a, a big budget and and use different skills that I have. Uh, but but yes, it has gotten me this far. Well, know? too much money can also be a bit of a curse because then yes. when you can throw money at a problem, then it, you tend to not, when can, when you're able to have convenience. Sometimes it can fuck you over because you're not forced to be as creative as you normally can be, and that's why yeah, you that's know true. when. When James Gunn made the jump from small movies to Guardians, it it was it was such a feat because not everyone can go from making smaller movies and make a big movie that still has a nice intimate story but looks stunning at the right. same time. Right. That is that is a completely separate skill set. And it's not one that everyone has because when you get a lot of money, I would imagine, it's like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just throw a budget at it. It's like, well, that doesn't fix every problem. You still have to be creative and still have to tell a good story. Yeah, yeah. Budget can't fix a script. That's that's it. You know, it just can't. But but it's true. What you're saying is exactly true, right? So, like, when you start out on your path to become a filmmaker, you start as an indie guy. And at least I did and a lot of people I know did. You start and and you get very tiny amounts of money. And so the skill set you develop is essentially, like, a skill – like, you know, I get, like I said, $10,000 for to make a music video or twenty or whatever. It doesn't matter. $50,000 to make a, a, a video. I am handed that money and then suddenly I'm a producer. I'm a line producer. If I had to – you know, sometimes I'd be a first AD because, you know, I want that money on the screen. Mm -hmm. So I'm my own first AD. Uh, I would edit the thing. You know, um, like I'm wearing so many hats that 
it's less about me being a creative and really making big like filmmaker creative choices. It's more about like surviving, getting to the end and having something to show for it, mm-hmm. you know? And, <clears throat> and so you develop all these skills along the way, but all of them are like to help you make something at that budget. But then, you know, on a movie like this, where suddenly I have a team of people around me, I have a first AD, I have, I have, a, um, you know, a VFX supervisor, I have, I have a producer, a line producer, production coordinator, all those things. Suddenly, none of those skills that I've developed as an indie filmmaker are that useful because I'm now my sole responsibility is to be a creative. And to right. Be, you know, and, and certainly I'll still use my, my mind, like, like, you know, the things I've learned in terms of being smart about how to spend money in places. But in general, I, all those skills are, are, are now useless because I've kind of leveled up and it's like, now I have to learn a whole new set of skills. How, how do I, how do I sell my vision to 30 different departments at the same time and make sure they're all working harmoniously, you know, while, while the producers and the financiers are all, you know, you know, how, how do I line up all of those pieces to be harmoniously working together? And yeah, because I'd imagine you also have to be, not only do you have to hire people that you think share your vision, but that will also do their job. Yes. <laughs> but you also have to be a good communicator yourself because you might get something back that someone in a department did. And I would imagine you're like, why, why did you think this was what you were supposed yeah. to do? <laughs> Yes, that happens or more, more why, than you would think. Why didn't you finish this when you knew, you know, it's like, how do you... How, how did this get twisted? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you have, I can imagine you have to, you have to, like, there's that managerial part that you probably yeah. don't think of when you're young and hungry and you just want to be a creative and you're like, oh, how do you, you have to be an effective manager at the same time, which is not something that most creatives ever want to have to do. Yes, and 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 at times you see... You see a mistake happen and you realize every step that led to it. You see someone show up on set with, I don't know, like, I don't know, a, a shark costume or something. Yeah. And you're like, how the fuck did you? Okay, I don't know. Like, why, why did you bring a shark costume? And then you're like, oh, I said that thing about the shark. Oh, oh. Like, you know, you track right. it back to that one sentence you said to that one person. Hey, sharks are funny. He wants yeah. sharks. Yeah. And then someone, you know, someone, you, you can almost get fucked over by good intentions, I think, where yes. people... Here's something like, oh, sharks are really cool, even though it wasn't related to this thing. And then they get that in their mind. And they're like, oh, I thought you wanted sharks. So I told everyone they had to bring in sharks. And you're like, oh, no, thank you. But that didn't really. You yes. Know. Yeah. There's a lot of that. And, and, and the first time, you know, the first time you're a filmmaker who, who, who's on this level, like before I, I, would, I would be a filmmaker and, and everyone would be like, oh, great. Good luck, kid. But on this, you know, it, I kind of elevated a little bit and – and I was the director. And so, I, you know, one of the things you forget is as the director, you're the director. And mm-hmm. people are afraid of you and they're very sensitive to your comments and stuff like that. And, and they want you to be happy. And so there's, they intensely want you to be happy. So, for example, someone came in and showed me something that was like very dark. And my reaction to things that are like dark and, and fucked up is that I laugh first because mm-hmm. I, I – I, because this is a dark, fucked up movie, and and I can curse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a dark, fucked up movie, and so so they put this thing in front of me, and I start laughing, and instantly I just saw that they were like mortified, and I was like, no, 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 no. my laughter is good. Like that's so fucked up, it's so dark. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but I I saw in one moment like how sensitive, and and I learned in that moment that like that that people are taking my 
uh, opinion much more seriously than they ever had before. And you don't you don't think of you as any different than when you're no. hanging out with your friends. Yes, exactly but right. But that yeah. but that um but you and the sort of I guess we'll call it an org chart if you're the top of the org chart. <laughs> yeah. Then the way that other people see you is like their jobs depend on you being happy. So, you yeah. know, even though you never said your job depends on me being happy, people just, you know, like the, so I imagine that you would have to work to establish like almost a, a dialect with your crew. Like this means this, this means this. If I say this, this means this. If you say this, this means, you know, just so that everyone understands each other. Yeah. Well, listen, it, it was a couple things. First of all, I wanted to establish with them that like, I wasn't going to be a dickhead. You know what I mean? Like, like talk to me. Tell me if something doesn't work. I, I wanted to create a safe environment for people to have a conversation with me and not feel like I was going to be upset with them or not like things. You know, I wanted to cultivate a culture of safe openness that people could say, hey, I, I, you know, I don't think this is going to work mm-hmm. and feel okay saying that to me. That's number one. And number two, the other, you know, another thing that I could really see happening was, you know, you know, someone will come to me and they'll go, hey what color do you want this car to be? And they lay out all these colors and they show me the car that it's going to be. And I'd be like, well, well, this would be consistent with our color palette and this and this and this. And they're like, great, great, great. And they go off and, and, and they, I guess they have conversations with the line producer and everyone else. And it comes back to me and it's like, why, why do you want to spend $150,000 painting all these cars? <laughs> this color? And I was like, what? No, no, no. I no. Okay. I see what's happened here. No. Okay. They presented me a bunch of options for colors. I didn't feel that strongly in any way, but if I could pick any of them it was that one. And, and, but so they just wanted to make me happy, give me the right color. And they're like, Dave wants to paint the cars. Here's a here, – th- that. so being wow. sensitive to that and, be, and, and, and coming to see how t- – it's just becoming more and more and more articulate with the way I communicate with Gosh, people. Gosh, and how many, how many productions have been wrecked by good intentions, I wonder, yeah. where people are really just trying to do their job and they don't – you know, it's almost like I imagine writing a program. If you don't put the specific language in there, then the program doesn't know. So if it's like, That's what you know, it's like. like you didn't, it didn't occur to you to say like, hey, this isn't the most important thing. If if this is in the budget and we can get this color, then this is great. But if it's too much money, it's like you wouldn't have known to give them the parameters yes. until it came back like almost as a disaster. Exactly right. <laughs> it is a bit like programming. Yeah, yes, exactly. So yeah, so I learned to say, okay, this isn't that important to me so i wouldn't spend a ton of money on this aspect of it because it's going to be only a small piece of this one (laughs) shot you know but but if we can pick this but you know so so just learn learning those things i mean these are this is like super in the weed sausage making but these are the kind of things that when you when you take a step up and start making your first movie this wasn't with a studio as an independent movie but it did function a bit more like a studio movie so when you make that first step up these are the weird pitfalls you might find yourself stepping in. But that's the only way to do it is to learn. And I would imagine for anyone who is listening who's like, how do I start? What do I do? It's like, well, just direct literally everything you can get your hands on. Yes. Don't say no. Don't, And that's going to be for no money for a while. Yeah. Um, but you need those skill sets because you don't want – it doesn't do anyone any good to get into a position – that they're not ready for yet with too much money or too much anything. Like you need to understand it first before, you know, like you don't, you wouldn't want 
your first job to be like a two hundred million dollar. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, man, I, I, I would pass on a movie that size right now. Um, uh, um, um, I, you know, my first movie was uh, in. In, in the first time I almost made a movie was in 2004, and it was this movie that you know I had written and I thought like was going to go, and when it didn't, I was just devastated. And when I look back, I I am so happy that that movie did not go because I it, like I was not ready to make that movie. I had shot film twice in my life, uh, you know, like these, I spent probably three days shooting film on on Super 16, and I just I, you know I didn't. I did not have the skills and the the mindset and the I, I just was not prepared. You know, it took ten more years for me to get the hive. And when I made the hive, I was ready for the hive. But it still was a, a big God, learning. Ten more years. Yeah, ten it's more so years. great. Like nothing is, you know, anything that's worth doing takes time. It it's, just takes time. It's a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> you learn a lot. And I'm stubborn as hell, and so it takes me twice as long to learn things. But, <laughs> uh, but, but, um, but, yeah, man, it's a long journey, and 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 it's it's not, it like it's not uncommon. Like it's very it's common for directors about my age to yeah. start becoming, you know, a director, and and you know, it, it's not like they just hatch at my age. It's like they spent twenty years, like. In the shit, you and, know. And James's brothers wrote this, correct? Yes. And it, it's this is one of those pitches that when you hear it, you go, "Oh my god, why didn't someone do this before?" I mean, it's the two. It's the like the perfect uh, crossroads between two genres. Yeah. Where you're like, "Oh, it's a superhero movie, but it's a horror movie." Yeah. Like, what a great, what a great thing. And also, I think we are at a point in our uh, evolution of understanding superhero movies yes that we were ready for this to take the next step it's sort of like how deadpool couldn't have been deadpool 10 years ago because we needed like 10 years of or years of being conditioned to understand what a superhero movie is before one could come along and like smash it yeah smash the mold and it's the same kind of thing 100 percent. this is actually the first uh conversation or press or anything i've done since the movie's come out Oh, and wow. so this is the first time I actually can talk in a way, you know, because before the movie comes out, you don't want to spoil anything, right? right. So, but yeah, yeah, I mean, um, um, yeah, it's it, it, it you know, it, it's this cool mashup, right? And 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 it's like taking things you like about horror movies and superhero movies and putting them in one movie, and it's it's interesting because the first movie I watched to prepare for this was Unbreakable because I love Unbreakables, mm-hmm. and 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 Unbreakable was a movie that. I remember going to the theater and seeing with some friends <clears throat> and people coming out of it were like, oh, I hated that movie because of this or this or this. And I was like, that movie's a masterpiece. I love that movie, you know? And and then we, um, you know, during the process of making this movie and testing this movie, we started showing it and people came out with pretty strong feelings. Like, you know, some people come out and they really, really, really like the movie and some people come out and they're like, I, what, uh, blah, you know, and did. <laughs> and so, uh, and, 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 and it was this weird moment where I was like, wow, I, I like, like we 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 did many of the same things that that happened with Unbreakable, where you like merge genres, mm-hmm. and people have all these different expectations on what they want to see from superhero, from horror, how much horror they want, how much superhero they want, how much 
it, 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 it's it's this it's this very interesting thing, and and I I didn't expect it to be as different. People really reacted to the movie like, "Wow, that was really different. That was really unique." And I, I, you know, to me, it felt very straightforward. We we're going to tell this very simple superhero story, and we were going to, and it was going to devolve into a fucking nightmare slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the wheels would come off. Um, but but people reacted like this was a very different uh, movie, which was neat. And and it also it also shows you the power of expectations yeah. going into something because if people and that's why like the way that something is marketed is so important because there's so many. It's like the movie um, Edge of Tomorrow is a fucking great movie. Yes, and it got marketed in a weird way, so I think people didn't really know what to expect, or they thought like, oh, it's some other weird futuristic Tom Cruise movie. And then you go see it, and you're like, oh, it's like Sci-Fi Groundhog Day. Oh, it's the best, but it's I love great. It. Yeah, but it didn't. I don't. I think it didn't maybe do as well because I think people's expectations. It's sort of like when you take a sip of a drink, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have a sip of this Coca-Cola, and it turns out to be water, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah. What is this? Yeah. You're like, well, it's just water. If you knew it was water, you would have liked it. Exactly. But because you thought it was going to be Coke, it like your brain got twisted. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember the first time we did uh, the first test screening, and uh, and there was a there was a couple people in the front row um, who were they you ask them questions after the movie and stuff, and they were like, oh, I was kind of expecting like big like Avengersy action explosion chaos, and I was like, oh yeah, no no we're. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a very small little horror movie, uh, um, um, but but I remember thinking that and and just seeing the diversity of of like expectations and and how people process the movie it was really interesting. Was really and interesting. did that uh, did that change? Because every time you make something, I feel like the learning curve is oh, man. so substantial. So did that process of of talking to people afterwards and going like, oh, that's what you thought? Like, how does that change the next thing you do? Yeah, you know, I think you just – you always learn so much. Like, man, I feel like over the – you know, it's been a two-year journey for me. And over the course of two years, I feel like I've learned so much. I mean, especially working with James, um, who's a genius and working so closely with him and – Hearing the way he processes things and 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 going through it, like man, I I feel like I just absorbed a, a thousand books worth of information. It's it's crazy. And I, I talked to him, and he says he feels that way after every movie he makes, which is crazy to me because he made so many movies, so many big movies. But yeah, I think you just you're always learning. You're always seeing like new new things through through James. I learned new dimensions of preparation that I didn't even know were possible. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense, like yeah. new 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 you know i came into this insanely prepared or at least way more prepared than i had ever been and more prepared than crew members were used to directors being but but less prepared than james because he would be like well, what about this Did, what, what happened you know and he kind of opened up avenues for me to be like oh <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, i've already started picking his brain about directing stuff yeah cuz I, I was he's very good i know but i wasn't I wasn't prepared one day. I called him to just say like, hey, w- w- you know, sometime when you have time, I just love to pick your brain about directing. He was like, how about now? And I'm like, oh, oh so what do you do? Where did the camera go? You know, yeah. like I just wasn't, I just, but but he had such great information. And But again, it's one of those things, no matter how many, it's great that people tell you stuff, but it just, I imagine it's just like stand up or performing music or whatever. It's like, you just, 
you just have to do it to learn stuff. No one can. Oh, yeah. No one can prepare you with words. No one can enough. prepare you with words enough. No, because what happens is you get on set and you think something's going to go this way, and then it doesn't. You know, you think the scene's going to work. You, yeah, you've been planning the scene for a year and you get to the set and you set up the camera and you look at it and you watch the scene and you're like oh this looks like shit (laughs) (laughs) now what you know now now you're a fucking director because the entire time you've you've just been a guy in a room making plans but all of a sudden you're sitting there and you have you know rows of producers watching the monitor going I don't know about this you know (laughs) it's gonna be fine everyone's gonna be fine (laughs) yeah and and, and that's when you become a director is 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 the is is the the things you do in that moment to navigate the ship through the shaky waters? But isn't that I feel I feel like that people can apply that to anything, which is no matter how you can only prepare so much. But your openness to flexibility, I think, is one of the most important skills to cultivate. Yeah, because most things, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I guess I sort of think of it like archery. Yeah. How many times are you going to hit the bullseye? You know, it's yeah. like or golf. Like how many hole in ones are you ever going to get? Probably zero. So it's just proximity. Like how close can you get to your idea and how flexible and how improvisational can you be within that structure? I feel like that's probably the most important skill set. Sure. Well, I think as your budget grows, the need for versatility shrinks because you have more and more time to pull things off. But but for me, I like to go in. I know every scene that uh, that I, in the back of my mind, I, I, I know what scenes could potentially be cut from the movie, could not make the movie, you know, if worse comes to worse. I know uh, the easiest path through scenes – before we start shooting him, like, for example, what that means is, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you'll go to a scene and you're like to get out of the scene, to finish this scene, to move on to the next thing. I owe 10 or 15 shots. But I, for every scene I do, I, I have a plan to get out of a scene in a shot or two. I know how to I know how to solve those things so that so that when when I need to, hopefully I don't have to. But th- those are kind of the dimensions I'm planning, I'm talking about. It's like understanding 4D chess, especially when you're making a horror movie. <laughs> understanding 4D chess. That's a great way to put it. It is, it is, because you're making a horror movie, right? And so, and so it's it, in a way, it's like a comedy where you're like, okay, we're going to do this scare. We're like setting everything up for this scare to happen. And then you get there on the day and it looks dumb as hell. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it, <laughs> that, that's what happens. And so you're like, okay. A, a prepared director in this moment has three other options for how the scare could play out, how the jump can happen. Pan over, see it. Snap up, see it. He jumps out of here. Like, different ways to do this scare. And then also, at the same time, ways to get around the scare entirely if you have to. Like, just set it up and let it be tense. But knowing that, like, you're you're going to build – you're going to pick up these pieces – that you're going to bring with you back and work with an editor and make that scene work. But, but, but just, and, 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 and part of the experience of making movies, you start to know, you start to know what's, what's, what's a, a, a danger, what's a dangerous thing you're going to do. What, what has a, has a possibility for total failure. 
what, what, what might be okay. But yeah, you start to read a script. Now I read a script and I'm like, the, the, the stupidest things, things you would never think about. I'm like, that will be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That moment right there will be a total fucking nightmare. No one can see it coming and it'll be a disaster on the day and everyone will freak. You know, you could just see those things coming now. Well, and, and do you think horror is in a good state right now? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I tend to wonder. I mean, like, there's just so much of it in yeah. all directions. But in general, do you think like it's in a good place? Uh, well, I think it's in a. I think it's in a good place because for a long time, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I always relate this to this. Like, like, uh, what's that band? Um, OK Go. Mm-hmm. In a way, OK Go kind of slit my career's throat. In a way, <laughs> now, but they didn't really mean to. But they made that that first music video that broke out for them for like a hundred bucks or something yeah. like that. I remember two hundred bucks. You know, the guys running on the, on the treadmills. treadmills. Yes, yeah. and so. And so I get into music videos, and I'm my career's starting to take. I'm starting to get slightly bigger budgets, and then they make that video, and then and at the same time the music, I, I'm, I'm going somewhere, but this will get. To I, I see where you're, yeah. you see where I'm headed. Yeah. Uh, um, um, so so suddenly every meeting I'm in, they're like, "So how can we make a video <laughs> for two hundred dollars? For two hundred dollars, they did it." And I'm like, "I don't know, but I'm not gonna be the guy to make you a video for two hundred dollars." Yeah. Um, and and so suddenly, like that was the first really domino. But all of a sudden, people started imagining: what happens if we don't spend half a million dollars on a music video? What happens if we spend fifty thousand on a music video? Well, because these musicians were going bankrupt. Yes, because uh, you know, in the nineties, where you have that sort of rise of like the Mark Romanek videos, mm-hmm. which are stunning, mm-hmm. but also really expensive. And it's like, well, the artists who like their labels were getting them pretty much all their money and they were getting expense for all that stuff. It's like they couldn't recoup that money. Yep. So it like the idea of it's really amazing. Oh, we're going to, and then you also have the sort of, you know, before the, before the rise of Vivo, you have like, no one's watching music videos anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, now, now people like you can rack up quite a few views on, on Vivo and so, but, but kind of, but they're not, it's not the same value, but it's not quite, it doesn't not quite it have the same. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can, I can, it's like, like, there's like 10 things going on that I would imagine that make people go like, can you do this for $200? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So cut to a few years later, I made some music videos. Finally, I'm in a place where I start meeting with studios and they're like, so there's this movie paranormal activity. <laughs> 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 and and they made it for nothing. So can you make a horror movie for nothing? You can never forget it's a business. Yeah, and I'm like, oh fuck. And so and so and so I would go. Uh, so all of a sudden I started to see horror movies, and I, every place I would go, they're like, okay, so what we decided to do was we're going to spend two million dollars this year, and we're going to make we're going to produce. 18 horror movies with that $2 million. And, and they're we'll, just hoping one of them makes like $50 million to $100 million. Yes, exactly. And so and so that became the thing for a while. And so every movie you saw was a couple people stuck in a house. Nothing happened till the very end. And you just saw it over and over and over again because no one had any money, you know. And then, and, then, and then suddenly – I really think it was like Stranger Things that really broke it. But like all of a sudden people started like spending money on horror. A horror movie started like out – Grow, like they were just making tons of money. The, 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 one of the first weeks we started working on this movie, like in early pre-production, there was an article that came out that was like, you know, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollar movies were moving off their their date because a 10 million, 15 million dollar horror movie was getting placed on that date and they were scared of them. Mm-hmm. So so suddenly, you know, people started spending money on on horror movies. And and as a result, 
you're seeing cool things. You're seeing like things that you could never afford to do before. You know, you could never have made a quiet place before this new like reinvestment in money in in horror movies. That's really interesting to hear because it does make sense that bigger studios would be afraid of a 10 or 15 million or even a 5 million dollar movie because the thing about horror I think is that it almost the right horror movie almost has no competition. Obviously you wouldn't want to release a movie opposite Avengers, but but for the most part, we did. <laughs> <laughs> not the same weekend. Yeah, though. not the same weekend though. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like you, pretty much, horror movies don't have the same competition. I think that other movies have because it's such a specific audience. Yeah. And even if like the core group of horror fans come out, it can be successful. And then if it tips and becomes mainstream, then it's like, then it gets crazy. Yeah. But it it. But I also feel like. The downside is what you said, which is companies go, we're going to make 18 movies, you know, for, you know, a $50,000 each. And then you start that, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's why we got flooded with found footage movies, you know, because they're cheap. They're cheap to make. They're cheap to make. And then then there's a flooding of like, okay, this horror movie is all going to take place in a video chat where everyone's on some sort of video chat. Exactly. And, 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 you know, that can lead to creativity, but it also just leads to a glut of like because we Lydia and I watch as many things as we can and there are so many movies I feel like with horror you really kind of rate them in your and we kind of rate them on a sliding scale it's like you know great concept maybe not the best execution couple good scares probably needed some more of this you know what what the fuck happened in the third act why did it and so I don't I just imagine well you know, again, because these things are very hard to do, I applaud anyone who is actually able to make a movie and get it seen somewhere because it's fucking hard to do. Yeah, but and it makes sense. Yeah, if it makes sense and people see it, you you deserve a little medal, yeah, a little trophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I imagine that most of the problem, like most of the things that don't make sense to you, were just unforeseen issues like maybe there was footage that they didn't that didn't turn out okay and they couldn't reshoot it yeah. maybe maybe someone didn't show up that day maybe it rained and that was the only day they could shoot outside so they lost a whole scene and they had to do you know like I, I don't know oh yeah on the hive I shot the climax of the movie in in two hours and, and <laughs> <laughs> I shot it in two hours and about an hour in I looked at the DP and I was like we we're never gonna be able to shoot this with all these people here Let's ditch him. And so me and the DP grabbed two actors and we ran away from the crew and just <laughs> shot it all handheld to just get through it because it, because it just they were bogging us down. They were too slow. They couldn't keep up and we just wouldn't have had an ending to the movie. You mean setting up all the lighting and all the everything like the entire yeah. – yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, I need to do this. Wait, wait, wait. I need to do that. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, I need to have – a shot. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has to end. Yeah. We yeah. have to wrap it up. Yeah, I was doing a commentary, and I mean, this is a bit crude, uh, but I was doing a commentary, and, and we were talking about advice for people making their first movie, especially if it's a half a million dollar movie or a small yeah. movie like we did. And I told them that you don't get to shit when you make the movie because you're shooting so fast <laughs> that if you shit, the entire production shuts <laughs> down, you lose pages. So, so, is that shit worth uh, 20 grand? Yes, exactly. Is that shit? <laughs> It worth that scene that you wrote. Uh, and Sometimes it is, though. I got to be honest. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. <laughs> I told. I told. Uh, so I think it's on our, our our commentary on our DVD commentary. But 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 um, but like for real, like you're shooting so quickly and so fast that 
if, I mean, if you have to take a phone call, if your mom calls to see how you're doing, you, you just lost like a setup or two. You know. You know what you should do is we should invent a um, we should invent like uh, a video village porta potty so that you can <laughs> shit with the screen in there and still communicate on headsets. Yeah. On the so that it. You're not losing any time. Yeah. So you could, you're never losing any time. I, I don't think that anyone would use it. <laughs> we'll call it the shittio village. It's just like that's where you go to take your dumps but still be able to direct a movie at the same time. Yeah. I feel like that if they, people alone would pay a couple hundred bucks for one of those to save them thousands. Yeah, but you're targeting, you're targeting a group of people who have no money in the first place. <laughs> Also known as a bucket in yeah, your iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, but 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 for real though, that is really like like that is the kind of director advice that no one will ever tell you. But when you are making that first movie, you you have no time. You really have zero 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 time. So it is funny to say, but it's also pretty true. Like you you cannot stop working, and so yeah. But I think it, the the part where I get keep getting tripped up is I feel like endings. You know, because horror movies are a bit of a magic trick. Hmm. There's a reveal. And sort of like you said, you know, the, the, that, that, um, that swath of the low-budget ones where it's like two people talking and then something crazy happens at the end. If the crazy thing that happens at the end is amazing, it works. But if the gag doesn't work, then the entire movie was a, a bust and, yes. a wa- and a waste of time. And so it's very much like writing the end of a comedy sketch, too, where it, you, you want to make sure that the story sticks, sticks the landing. And how do you keep surprising people when audiences now are just too savvy. They've seen so many things. Yeah. There's only so many new, you know, it's like there's only so many, it's like there's a finite number of concepts. Totally. There's a finite number of scares. Yeah. You're exactly right. But there's a finite number of scares. You've seen, you see the same scares in every movie. And I, when I was doing research for the movie, I, I'd watch every Conjuring movie, Mama, other, I just watched every supernatural horror movie you could back to back. I had a notepad and I was just making notes on things and how things worked and the mechanics of what felt scary when and why it felt scary and what anticipation, what a shot was, when did I feel the anticipation, when didn't I, you know, just making like really detailed notes and like you just start to see it's the same scare over and over and over and over again. It's just done in slightly different ways. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, like the, 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 the jump scare in in the Annabelle movie where she's like running towards the door and the door com- comes yeah. open and she you know she's like older you know and it's totally scary you know it, it you, you've seen it forty different ways but but it's it's just about how you do it and how you can kind of reinvent it for us it was like in, in injecting superhero DNA into those scares like yeah how, how do you you, t- you know, t- take this gag or that gag, but like make it superhero. I always feel bad when I watch a <clears throat> when we watch a low budget horror movie, which is most of them, yeah. and yeah. then you know, like the story ends, and then uh, uh, there's one last like a ghost or a demon Ooh. just like runs to the screen, like yeah. and then yeah. it just credits, and I always go, oh, yeah, like it didn't. It obviously their ending didn't give them the. It didn't manifest the way that they wanted, so they were like, "Well, I guess let's just have a demon jump at the screen." I, I don't know how else to, I don't know how else to finish this. You know, it's funny, like, 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 you you'd be surprised at how much perspective you lose so quickly. Like, like, you know, there were there were, um, like, I'll give you a, an example: the the jump scare in in the trailer where you know where 
Brandon just launches. Oh yeah, into the yeah. yeah. And and like you watch like trailer reactions online, and you see people like falling backwards out of their chair when it happens because the the jump really got people. But the day before we released it, when I'm doing the like sound mix on the stage, I'm watching it and we're tweaking the sound, and I'm like, I don't know, is this jump working? You know, because I've seen it only ten thousand times, right? You know, with different audio at different speeds, at different this, different that. And I'm like, I don't know. Doesn't feel and and people in the room are like, eh, it's pretty effective. It's pretty effective. And 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 I, I released it going, I hope it works. I didn't I had God, no that's, idea. That's the scary part to me. That's that's the real jump scare with filmmaking that, yes. that I go, How do I know? Because you see it so many times and you yeah, it just you you lose your to see it with new eyes. Yeah. Or to really understand and to hear like Different sounds, different speeds, different this. It's like there's a million ways to do it. A million ways to do it. You gotta just test it on people. You have to find people that you trust. You know, you know, I I, I remember um I don't know if you like the movie Interstellar. I really like the movie Interstellar. But, oh yeah. But there's a scene where where um Matthew McConaughey's like time is a fleeting resource that we have now or mm-hmm. it's a diminishing resource. And I always feel that about objectivity in, in, in directing. So I always have this moment where I'm like, okay. Where I'm Matthew McConaughey in that scene where I'm just like, okay, <laughs> this is my objectivity, okay? It's just <laughs> diminishing every day. It's yeah. going. And we need to solve this, this, and this, and the, you know? And so and so that – so so the game is like trying to hold on to that and, and trying to trying to show people um, – you know, trying to put it in front of people and, and get their reaction. When we were um, – uh, when we were in Europe, the last handful of days of the trip, um, Lydia got really sick. She got this infection, this like sinus throat infection, and so we were kind of bad. Oh, that's okay. She, we, we were bedridden for the last um, handful, of few days. We were uh, in the UK, which is actually great. That sounds great because we were we for, like we had spent two weeks like walking ten hours a day all over Italy. Uh, and then went to Disneyland in Paris, and so it was actually kind of nice yeah. to rest for a few days. So. Um, neither one of us had watched T2 in a while and we watched it and it's oh. t- completely still fucking fantastic and I rem- and I had forgotten like oh yeah it's a horror movie like it really is a sci-fi horror movie yes and it was so well done that even though the effects were so cutting edge it sort of reminded me like Ghostbusters it's like the movie works on this one story level but the effects for the time were groundbreaking and the yes. music was groundbreaking and the same thing for T2 and it's just that feeling that you get the entire movie. It's like, oh, they they never can stop. I mean, it was the same thing in the first Terminator, but yes, it's this thing is is endlessly pursuing them. Sort of like um, the uh, uh, oh, the god damn it, what's the horror movie where the girl has the STD that is a demon? Uh, uh, it follows. Yeah, it's the same as it follows, where it's like... <laughs> it's an STD. It's, 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 yeah, it is. It is. It's a, yeah, it's, it's not like a quiz show, though. Like a, like a <laughs> the $25,000 pyramid? Yeah, yeah. STD, sexually transmitted demon. Um, they should have called it sexually transmitted demon. For, for yeah, yeah, they should have. But um, it, uh, it's the same kind of thing where that has an inherent... Horror factor yeah. in in the sense that it's not stopping and starting. It's not stopping and starting. It's the whole time. Um, it's like something's chasing them. But yes. what I think a lot of horror movies don't are not necessarily able to do, or they try to force it in, is that um, you know T two also had some heart to it, mm. which is like how the fuck 
how do you start empathizing with this? I mean, the idea of it started really melting my mind. It's like, okay, they took this kind of like cult favorite movie from the early 80s, which was a great sci-fi cult horror movie, and they took the uh, antagonist and they made him the protagonist. How the fuck did that? Like, what a genius idea. And then you empathize. And how at the end, when he's giving the thumbs up going into the fucking molten metal where you're not like, <laughs> you go Terminator. You know, you know, yeah. he has to sacrifice himself. And then, and then you're like, you feel, and it, and it really made me think like, okay, a good horror movie also has to have some heart to it. Like, it can't just be like, yeah, we're going to kill these fucking people and then this fucking sucks for them, yeah. you know? Unless totally. it's just super grindhousey and that's yeah, the whole yeah, purpose yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, Well, I hope that people don't perceive that this movie that way. I hope that people see the heart in it. This movie, for me, had a lot of heart in it. I was very, um, y- you know, the, when I read the script that Brian Mark wrote, there was this, um, there's this, part of the movie where where Tori the mother is is very like my son's special I believe in him and the whole world you know is every, every bit of evidence around her and the whole world is saying something's wrong with your kid and she's defending him and 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 to me I connected to that because I was a weird kid I mean I'm probably still a weird kid but <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I mean I you know I was I was obsessed with um horror movies and Freddy Krueger and making scary movies in my backyard and covering my friends in fake blood and obviously you know when you're 13 and doing that some parents might be like, why is my kid coming home covered in fake blood? That's <laughs> not normal. And 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 so and so my mom had to kind of go out there and be like, he's just creative. He's you know he's he's a good kid. And so and so to me the the movie really became a a weird, totally fucked up, dark thank you to her in a weird way. Although obviously in the movie the the kid is not good. He's a real he's right. a bad. Dude, and and and, but but in a way, it was sort of like I, I I was able to make this movie because someone like Tori defended me. That's really mom. sweet. See, there is a little That's heart. That's really in it. sweet. Yes. You know, I also had a really fucked up thought. Was imagining is is trying to understand why, why parents allow their kids to dress up as Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Because he was like this child murderer. Yes. Son of a thousand maniacs. Yeah, son of a hundred maniacs. Son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As we uh, learned from, was it Dream Warriors? Uh, where, where did Son of a Hundred Maniacs come from? That was probably be- Dream Warriors. I think it was Dream Warriors because didn't yeah. we learn that that's where uh, Amanda Kruger was? That her name, Amanda Kruger, yes. the mother. She was the nun, and then all the maniacs got yeah. And so it, but the thing you think about him isn't that he's that that the thing you think of with him is that he's the the demon thing that haunts your dreams and that's right. sort of the backstory you don't like get into that you don't get into the weeds on yeah, that one yeah yeah <laughs> i hope they're if they ever reboot that again mm. i <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on is that one you think they should just leave alone no i'm that's one i would kill to remake oh that's got to be the next one <laughs> i would love to see you remake that cuz i feel like the last one was like where, where where do you stand on? Because I feel like you're a guy, my, my perception of you is that you're a guy that is squarely in the middle of practical versus digital effects. It's, it feels like you do like the tactile. Oh, oh, I could talk about this for a real. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so okay, 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 okay. Let's talk about. And this. the reason that Let's I did the reason that I dove into this is because I feel like that reboot that they did, um, there was like. The like it was the moment where the CG where he was pushing through the wall, 
I was like, oh no, that's kind of taking me out of it. And, yes. and and again, I'm sure it was for budgetary reasons. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. But especially, oh especially, I have so much to say. especially in so horror, I feel like CG, the, like too much CG is dangerous because it 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 kind of it spoils the effect. Yeah. Well, okay. So you've just opened up a huge case. Please. Uh, all right. All right. So so okay. Um, where to? Where to chip away? So So. So I, I've sat in a million rooms trying to get my first movie at a studio, and I, I've sat across from producers being like, "This is what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to do all these we're going to do all these effects, but they're going to be practical. We're going to build everything. They're going to be puppets. We're going to do all this stuff, and that's how we'll save money, and that's how we'll whatever." And then on this movie, we were like, "We're going to do all this stuff practical, and we're barely going to use visual effects, and we'll just pick and choose whatever." And, and, you know, I can tell you right now that every practical gag that we had in the movie was augmented in some way with visual effects because the, the nature of practical effects is, A, insanely time-consuming. Mm-hmm. So I can't spend a day doing this one shot, you know, because that's – you know, I got 29 days to shoot the movie. So mm-hmm. you don't get a day. Uh, that's number one. Number two um, – the 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 ability of practical effects can only get you so far i mean the things you remember about practical effects are like the best moments but there's often like another shot before it and another shot after it that isn't quite as good and if they at the time had had visual effects to help like blend or cover or hide or obfuscate you know um uh the whole gag would have been better so like for example um you know all of the destruction in the movie we were shooting cannonballs through walls and blowing things up oh that's fun oh my god it was fun (laughs) (laughs) that's really fun um but then but then we paint the you know we we had this like you know big cannonball thing and then we we just digitally paint brandon in but but then we'd look at it and and it was like okay so we have this practical wall exploding this way, practical wall exploding this way. But it's not destructive enough. Maybe more debris, maybe more glass, maybe more this, more that. And by the end, you know, there's certainly all the practical elements there. Then they're enhanced with visual effects. Then there's smoke added. Then we had to shoot things in separate elements. Then we had to paint Brandon in. So at the end of the day, the, 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 what, what ended up looking by far the best was the hybrid. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, there's, there's a couple shots that we kind of – in the editing room invented where we're like, what if Brandon just went this way and did this? And and we we went for it. We pulled the trigger on it. Visual effects delivered us those those effects. They did a great job doing it. But every time we were there on the day planning it and we shot, you know, we, we shot practical elements with it and we did all the sort of planning that you need to go into those shots. Those shots look night and day better. Uh, un, uh, they're, they're not even comparable. Yeah. So I would say that I am squarely in the camp of do everything you possibly can to have as much practical and as, as much like a- actual practical elements in the shot, and then and then enhance. Do the icing. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. What you're going to say because that, that balance between the two, and it it does feel like. There's the foundational element of a practical effect that needs just the icing of the visual effect to sell it. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the, um, I don't know, maybe it was like nine years ago, eight or nine years ago, but they, you know, released the first 
I feel like it was maybe just the first season, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure the internet will correct me on this, of um, the original Star Trek series. Mm. And they just enhanced some of the effects with digital. But it was so subtle but effective that yes. they didn't try to paint over practical stuff. But it was just like screens in the background or, or, those, yeah. or those external shots of the Enterprise. They just enhanced a little bit and it just – it elevated everything – and so that to me, but again, yeah, if, you might be in a situation where it's like, well, we can't do the practice. It has to be all visual if we want any effect there. So what are we yeah. supposed to do? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, look, to what you're saying, right? Like, like every time you see a movie where you see all these like makeup effects on people where they have very heavy prosthetics, uh, anywhere from, I don't know, a Guardians to Star Trek, like you're saying. But, you know, they have these char- characters, actors who are wearing these these effects and you you think of those shots as practical but they're not someone went in there and cleaned up the seams because you know 20 years ago you'd see you'd see someone on on in a star trek movie or something and you could see where the prosthetic ended and the the face began and it got all crusty and weird (laughs) and all those spots and you know you know like not much has changed in the way of prosthetics i mean they've they've gotten thinner and they now do silicone instead of foam and stuff but in general there's still going to be seams and there's still going to be stuff and so using digital effects they can just kind of clean it up that you know every once in a while a prosthetic will bend somewhere or something they can just just smooth it just out. Smooth it out. Just yeah. make it a little cleaner. Yeah, I mean, and listen, so people do that on their own Instagram pictures. Why can't we yeah. do it in? Why can't we do it in movies? On a screen that's going to be uh, eighty feet tall. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. Is the um, I wonder if it's important to know when you're making a film going into it whether or not it's going to have a theatrical release. Does that change? how you do things because you know like well most people are just going to see this on a you know dramatic a, a small a small tv set yeah well yeah on when we most ma- horror will never see a theater yeah yeah when i'd make music videos i'd i'd, I'd watch them on my iphone to make sure that they <laughs> played well because <laughs> the sad reality is that that's where 90 percent of people will watch it but yeah no when you when you when you're coming out in a theater yes you need to watch that movie on a theater the, fir- the first time we put that movie on on a theater i was uh, shocked at how much you could see, like how much detail there was. Like you could see everything, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 yeah, it was shocking. And also, also, I mean, this is this is kind of way in the weeds, and but 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 th- there was, you know, you're shooting and you have a monitor, like I don't know, the twenty. Seven inch monitor or something, which is the monitor you look at, and you look at it and you're like, oh, that okay, we set up for a wide shot. That looks that looks plenty wide, you know. And and then you you uh, get to a bigger screen and you're like, no, that's not really that wide because right. on the monitor you, it looks like the person's you know an inch, but then you put it on a bigger screen or on, you know on on a you know in the theater and they're they're still. A quarter of the screen, and so so yeah, you kind of have to gauge what what a wide is, right? You know, and what a tight is, because you know, I, on a music video, it would not be uncommon for me to live on like an anamorphic 150 millimeter lens, super flattering, you know, but it can be this big, mm-hmm. you know, and and but if it's on someone's screen, it's just a flattering close up, but if it's on a in a movie screen. You know, it's just a face. That's all there is. It's just a eighty foot tall face, and so, so yeah, you you really do have to kind of pick your your the the 
how you're going to shoot it based on... And I imagine also which details are going to be important. We watched a, movie not, a horror movie not that long ago, and uh, the lead character was a woman who was in um, a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And it, what the thing that totally took me out of it that I started going like, I wonder was that her decision or the director's <laughs> decision or makeup decision is that it looked like she had like fake eyelashes and you can uh. see, you know, so it's like around fake eyelashes, they'll do like a line of like when people wear fake eyelashes, there's like a line, I think of like a pencil eyeliner yes. to sort of blend it in. And the whole time I was thinking like, where did this mental person in a mental hospital get fake eyelashes yeah. and an eye pencil? Like, and it completely, and so I just started, I went down this like, Okay, so was that did the make did the, was the makeup person just kind of like oh these will make your eyes look nice or was the actor like you know I just I like to have fake eyelashes or was the director like oh like let's pop her eyelash like I couldn't figure out but yeah. I imagine like if you saw that on a screen you'd be like she's got fake eyelashes you know if it was like a giant and I don't think it came out on a big screen but it's those little details man it is those little details <laughs> and, and let me tell you like what you're saying is exactly right and it is sort of the. The, the blessing and the curse of making these things is you you know that that director I don't know anything about the movie you're talking about they could have made a, a, a fucking masterpiece and, and they could have made every right decision but those eyelashes are going to bother forty percent of the viewers <laughs> and distract them and so you know that is the way that is kind of the way the movie making process is is like you're constantly surprised at like. Like all of these things work together so harmoniously and everything adds up in this cool way and then this thing happens and people attach themselves to it. Right. Like, well, that that sucks. Yeah, there's a, a, there's a lot of things that's the coffee cup in Game of Thrones. There's a lot. Yeah, the coffee cup in Game of Thrones. Right? Exactly. Exactly. This cool episode or whatever, however you feel about it in this amazing show that's been playing out across all these years and then all anyone wants to do is talk about the coffee cup. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, I think missed opportunity to make um, – Game of Thrones, uh, the sort of the sci-fi, the the Renaissance uh, world in Westworld, like that could have been a great crossover. Like someone just steps through, and yeah, at the robots. very end, like one of them just gets on that subway and leaves. And you're like, oh fuck, the whole thing was the Westworld, you know. But yeah, you know, I think people probably would have not have been happy if that oh, was the I ending. Think there would have been riots in the street. <laughs> but in my heart, that's 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 the crossover that's happening. Yeah, no, they, I think it would have been it would have been a great twist if 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 someone just like woke up at the end they were dead the whole time you know oh, oh boy people would have been oh, so mad riot. so riot. mad so mad yeah you can't have dream or dead yeah. anymore like that that one's that one's done it's or fine. the oh i'm the ghost you know I'm it's the, like yeah. yeah i'm the ghost worked twice it worked on uh it worked on six cents and it worked on the others and then i don't think you can do oh i'm the ghost anymore yeah so it turns out i'm the ghost yeah like 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 Tyrion wakes up on like a subway <laughs> he was sleeping the whole time he's just like oh what a crazy dream! That yeah, was. and then it's just like, oh yeah, and then you see, you know, uh, uh, Daenerys is like a lady who's like preparing for an audition. Yeah, and, yeah, and they're then, all on the subway. Yeah, together. and then, then Jon Snow is like a guy playing a guitar on oh. the subway, and you're like, no, oh my god, there would have been blood in the streets. <laughs> there would have been a riot. <laughs> It just seems like if you really <laughs> think about all the ways that you know, like how could you cause like worlds, like uh, uh, um, world scale riots without actually like launching a war? Like what? What are the little things you could do that aren't like technically harmful, but would drive people to the edge, to yeah. the, but would drive humanity to the brink of extinction? So the future generations would be like. 
Here's the crazy story about how humanity almost <laughs> like bottlenecked and almost went under because of this Game of Thrones ending. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, a show became so popular that the ending. If you read social media, that's the fever pitch that everything is at right now. Where yes. it's like, oh, because someone didn't like an ending to a show, hum- humans are on the brink of collapse. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's on the brink of collapse if you if you, re- if you take social media literally. We're yes, on, everything's yes. on the brink of collapse. Yes, every uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. That is that is true. It, well, just it's, sort of, it's at eleven. It's at so, it's at fifteen. So just sort of th- just thinking about the brink of collapse as a way to sort of wind this this chat down. <laughs> I would love to uh, talk about because. You do live with something for two years, mm. and then it comes out. Yes. And then I would imagine you have something that is akin to like a postpartum-type depression with this brain baby that you have birthed yeah. that has been such a, a chunk of your life. Is it a relief to be done with it? Are you already thinking about what you want to do next? Are you like, I need time to process this? I need time. Like, I, did you go, are, you know, are you I, in a weird things. depression because it's done and you can't stress about it anymore? You know, the depression comes from I, I, a little bit, but I, it, I, I, I got it weeks ago. What happened was I worked in a room, like, honestly, not much bigger than this room with mm-hmm. Simon and and James, he, w- he wasn't in the room all the time because uh, because he didn't need to be. There were very non-creative decisions being made. But, you know, in in a room with them and, and with, with the editor and just with a lot of people every day. Wake up, go to the office, be in this room with these people. And got really cl- – I mean, you know, s- s- got really close with these guys. And then just not seeing them on a daily basis kind of bums me out. Um um, you know, yeah, there's, the, I think anytime you make something, you're like, oh, okay, well, there was that, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I was driving with, with, uh, my wife to, um, to, uh, I don't know, Starbucks or something like that. And I was like, hey, remember when we were working on that movie? <laughs> <laughs> just how suddenly everything just like the momentum yeah. just like, there now it is. we're done. That's now we're it. Done. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who's happiest when I'm working. And 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 truthfully, like there are different there are different parts of the filmmaking process that are more and less enjoyable for me. I really like developing. I really like the pre production. I really like shooting the movie, and I really like editing the movie. (laughs) And then once it starts doing the like release stuff and the, the like that stuff. It, it's my least. It's the least enjoyable thing for me because it's 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 so it's it's. It's just something different, you know. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's 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 it doesn't feel creative. It just feels like I don't know. I I I I, I can't possibly put it to words what it feels like. But it feels like not not like any of the other phases where you're just working with a small group of people in a room being creative and figuring things well, out. You are so, in a relationship with an entity, like the thing yeah. becomes an entity, and you are in a relationship with it. And I think two years is like the minimum that, for, especially for movies, like oh, yeah, some people we can be fast. with stuff for five years, ten years, you yeah. know, if you're James Cameron, 20 years developing technologies or whatever, you know, so it, 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 I, I, it is kind of a weird, like I almost wonder if there's like a bit of counseling that a director should go through. It's yeah, like, right. Ah, like, because you do go through a bit of a loss where it's like it, you put it out there. And it's a big piece of you, yes. and all of a sudden, people are scrutinizing it and judging it and looking at it, and it's I not know. yours anymore. I know it's weird. You know, I, how he, did George Lucas not go fucking insane? How did he not go insane? You know, look, here's the thing: he didn't. The Twitter didn't exist. Then. It didn't. That's you're exactly <laughs> right. You know what? That you're. That, I feel like you're kind of joking, but you're exactly right because yeah. people still gave him shit. 
And it's like once it's out in the world, like it's not yours anymore. Yeah. That's part of the deal. If you put it out there for consumption, it's going to be consumed. It's going to be consumed and not yours. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. You I think share ownership. I think I've taken a healthy approach. Like I, I've I've never looked on Twitter about a conversation about the movie. Like I have no idea. I, I didn't really read any reviews. I didn't really like you know do any of that stuff because that stuff makes you crazy. And and that's you know the, the, the weird thing about making a movie is it's never about the end of the process you know like I, I remember on the hive that night you were there when we introduced the movie in, in Burbank and yeah. it was like it was like I, I worked that whole time that, that movie was three and a half years you know to, to get to that moment where we were showing the movie and I worked tirelessly on it until that very end moment introduced the movie watched the movie with everyone and I was like yep, there it is <laughs> hour and a half <laughs> And, and people were like, Starbucks. Yeah, let's get, yeah, exactly. And then people were like, oh, okay, that, that was that. And, and in that moment, I immediately realized it, it's never about that hour and a half. You know, it's about a life of, of being creative and, and working towards making, like, you know, a director's job is telling a story, but it's also improving, improving the movie over and over and over again, finding ways to elevate it, make it better, make it better, and then, and then move on to the next one. But it's really, it's really about enjoying that, mm-hmm. you know, because if if it's all about the end result, you'll never be happy because the end result is, is an hour and a half. You show all your friends. Like, I did the same thing in this. I got all my friends and family in a room. I showed them the movie. In an hour and a half, it was done. This thing I've been talking about. we were in was, Europe for that. Otherwise, I would have been there. <laughs> it was a fun done, night. If you could have done in Italy, I, we could have gone. I, tempting. It was tempting. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is that it's um, because you can't. You have no control over that. You have, you have no, no control, control over it once you put it out. It's like yeah. you've done everything you can do, and then it's like you know. People weird. people kept asking me, "Are you nervous? Are you are you are you excited?" And I was like, "I'm I'm, you know, it's I'm I'm kind of none of those things. I'm it, like like I I'm really proud of the movie that I made and that I handed off, and then it's gonna go do whatever it's gonna go do, but but." But, uh, like, I, I, I was excited to show my friends what I did, my family what I did. But somehow, you, you know, you f- the, the world feels, like, so much smaller in terms of, like, Twitter and all these things where things are easily connected. But at the same time, you somehow feel so detached. Like, you, you see online people start tagging you in things and then, oh, oh, my God, there's a giant bus in Mexico City that's covered in your artwork or there's this here in the world. But in a way, it's just kind of pictures on social media. You're just kind of at home playing Spider-Man because all your friends played it while you were making the game and you didn't get to. You know, I spent most of this weekend playing playing Spider-Man. That's what I did this week. Yeah, I was so excited to be in a cafe in Venice and, and I sent you the screenshot yes. where it's uh, the film in Italy translated to Angel of Evil. I love I love that. It's really fun. I, I do like seeing like like that seeing that stuff really like makes me happy and it makes me feel connected to this thing that is everywhere. All, all these people are having these experiences with the movie and I, I just feel like not a part it's i'm very happy to be not a part of it but but i mean i don't feel like a part of it like i feel like it it goes like it it has left the nest and it's yeah. gonna go live its life now and and i have video games i have to catch up on <laughs> <laughs> and another thing are you were are you writing anything else at the moment i'm i'm always like i'm i'm oh yeah i i've i've written some things um but i'm also you know i'm developing this thing and i'm doing this thing uh, you know I, I don't really have anything that i can like talk about but certainly this movie has opened doors for me and 
And hopefully um, I'll get to make some more cool stuff if I'm fortunate enough. I hope so. I'm just I so excited. So. Thank I, you. I, I know how hard you've worked and I love – I mean you have such a great eye and a great style and it and it's so exciting to – and also you're just fucking so nice. You and I were just so nice. Oh, thanks. And uh, Lydia and I have so enjoyed becoming friends with you the last yeah, few years. Yeah, it's been and, cool. And, and I'm just – I'm so – I'm so excited to see what you do next. Thanks, man. Because I do suspect that you will be, uh, you know, you will sort of, I, I see a similar thing that happened with James for you if it's a path you want, which is like the scale go, you know, like it's yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. Be cool. And um, yeah, my heroes were growing up, I, I, my heroes were Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson. Those yeah. were guys who made like, you know, kind of, you know, fun horror, like, crazy movies i love the frighteners by the way oh my god i love the frighteners i love the Frighteners. that is such a fun such a fun movie weird movie yeah that i think most people forget about but it's a really really great little uh ghost comedy yeah weird weird masterpiece weird masterpiece um but but yeah those guys were my heroes and and they you know went on to make lord of the rings and spider-man and these huge movies and and yeah i mean i hope one day to to make huge movies but but um but I'm I'm kind of cool making this crazy, <laughs> insane, <laughs> violent, crazy uh, superhero horror thing that I made right now. If I if I were ever lucky enough to start directing horror movies, I don't think I would have. I, I don't have any. I don't want to make big movies. You don't want to make big. No, movies? No, like I love what Rob Zombie's done, which is yeah. just like I don't need to make movies any bigger than this. Yeah, and they're you know it's like. I think it's just like a pressure thing. Like I don't need a two hundred million dollars to make a thing. Like I just, yeah. if I kind of am able to do the thing that I want to do and that sustains itself, that sounds kind of fun to me. And I have a specific audience that's into that stuff, and I kind of just communicate directly with them. And then it's kind of out of the, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like the Adult Swim formula, which is like, well, we keep the, you know, they kept the budgets below a certain amount because any bigger, then it's like a bunch of other people get involved. Yes, and they start giving notes and they start getting pressure, and it's like if we keep it below this, then everyone, then just no one can do yeah. whatever you want, do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, man, th- there's something so sexy about just that, you know. But the sad reality is, I love visual effects and I like blowing shit up I like shooting cannonballs through walls and 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 <laughs> that's just the reality you know like I, I the, the unfortunate thing is that my taste is just really visual yeah and and and, and visual costs money yeah god damn it god damn it I wish I wish I could just do that I wish I could just serve serve a a a, a a, a, a small group of excited fans or it doesn't have to be small, but like, a, you know, a corner of the market and then and kind of not have to do the dance. But um, I kind of weirdly like sci-fi and horror movies that have no effects in them because they have <laughs> to be so creative. Yes. Like uh, Primer was a really interesting I love Primer. movie uh, with that where it's like. Somehow they managed to build a time machine like in a cardboard box, basically. Yeah, you know, in a storage and, facility. In a storage facility, <laughs> and um, Time Crimes, which is Nacho Vigalando, is another like God. I there's no visual crimes. effects in that movie, and it's so mind bendy. And uh, you're just, just picking uh, uh, all the time travel movies. The time travel. Well, the time travel movie. Yeah, I guess the time travel movies in, in particular. But or are then like. You know, Creek, I love time travel. or the du- the Duplass brother. Yes. Like they they you know make fucking movies on iPhones that yes. look that are really cool. Where it's like, oh, you didn't, and and that's where you realize like, 
all the effects, all the bells and whistles are icing on the cake, but at the core, you just need a good story, and you need to be able to communicate that story well to people, and those are people that are, are yeah. you know... I saw, I saw Guardians 2. I saw, I saw the first cut of Guardians 2. Uh, you know, there was virtually no visual effects in it. Oh, I remember. Was that the screening? That, it, was it, or was no, it, that, you was, saw that, it was se- that was the second that time was the I second saw time. Yeah. But yeah, you saw it very early on. You yeah, saw it early on. Where there was like sort of like grayed out, like effects are going to go here. Yes. And and remember, we were both, Lydia and I were both like, it works great. Like it, it works, works great. great. The effects were just an enhancement for the story. It's just an enhancement. Yeah, yeah. The, the way I saw it was even less evolved than that. It was just people in front of green screens, right? <laughs> and, and you watched the whole movie and went, yeah, that works. How would your movie I, work I, I as cried. a play? Like, I cried. If your movie works as a play, yeah, then all the other stuff on top of it is is extra, yeah, extra bonus. Yeah, but I mean, it was literally, you know, you know, Chris and and Rooker hol- holding each other on a green screen, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I, there were tears coming out of my eyes, and I was like, wow, it plays, it plays like this, you know, and that that really speaks to what story is and what what's important in the story and that was that was another that was the same the same kind of thing we were talking about with t2 before like how do you yeah. take an antagonist from one movie and make him a protagonist like, like i love yeah. the value change of that is so much fun but don't you wonder when you were saying that i was i couldn't help but think put myself in james cameron's position who cast a guy who you know was you know a kind of tough guy when he cast him in terminator but then became like a, a beloved household name and friendly faced movie sure. star by the time he made terminator 2 and i can't help but wonder if if um, the world kind of teed up that brilliant choice I in a could, way. That- I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, because what an excellent use of Schwarzenegger in the first one. It's like, well, his he he sounds very robotic when he talks, yeah. and so it's like, well, we'll just kind of like he's the character is perfect for him. He's a machine. He's, he's yeah, a machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Built, he's, he's built like a machine. Cut. He yeah. talks like a machine. You know. Yeah. So like they, he was able to utilize, and and, and maybe in, to to that extent did the same thing where it's like, well, now these are his strengths. Yeah. And so yeah, I feel like he's done twins and stuff like again, that. He's not going to be the good director guy. is able to utilize the strengths of whatever mm-hmm. that, whatever is, is put in front of him. And then that was definitely, no, you're, I, I, I didn't think about that. And I absolutely agree with you <laughs> that that was, that, that had to do with those, the world. Teeter. <laughs> did you see the footage of the guy kicking Schwarzenegger in the back? Oh my God. <laughs> where it was just like, he just thought he got bumped. I know. Why yeah. would you do that to someone? Why would you do that to someone? People are crazy about that stuff. They, they you know, I don't know why. I, I, that was that was the thing that fascinated me. I couldn't stop watching and thinking, why would you think that that's okay to do to someone? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know. There are um, there are a lot of not great people. In the world. I guess. I, I mean, guess. I don't know. I don't know if it was the guy was the guy mentally ill or was he just. I don't know. I don't know anything, I don't know anything about, about him either. I just saw a video and the guy's flying in and kicking a, a, someone he doesn't know in the back for no reason. Like, yeah. It just seemed like random aggression. But I do know that people people look at people in Hollywood as if they're not like not real, real. Or if they're – yeah. If they're, because I do think there is that element. Like I do believe humans – and this is, you know, unfortunately what our social media culture is not fostering is that I do think people <laughs> – have evolved to need to be in front of each other to understand humanity. And when right. you just see people in two dimensions, you're not seeing you're not seeing them as real. Right. You're seeing this sort of um, 
machine expression of them right. and you're interacting with them through a machine right. and so it's very there's a lot of there is a, there is a tremendous amount of depersonalization that takes effect and so yeah you're right they just don't see them as real i mean i, I mean i even remember when I used to do Chelsea Lately years ago and you're kind of making fun of people in, in the news and at a certain point you're like, eh, I don't know. Like I just started to feel bad. I'm like, wait, these are people. Right? But when you're making fun of me, you're like, yeah, oh, whatever. They're not real. And it's like, no, no, they're real. They're real. They're, they're real. They're hearing that joke. And yeah. They're, 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 they're sitting in a dark room. You're just taking cheap crying. shots at humans who are just, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, they're all, just ostensibly trying. trying to do their best. Yeah. They're just trying. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah. Oh, fuck that guy. He's and it's like, you don't know. Like, you know, like we, we are, we do. That's interesting. We are kind of losing our, um, our our humanity because I think we communicate with each other and we experience each other mostly in inhumane ways, which I think right. is why people are starting to feel so isolated with social media when it should feel so connecting. But also yes. because we are falling down these trenches that, of these hyper-curated bubbles yeah. of our own little reality, it's like that also is not is not helping either like we need to get out and you know experience yeah. <laughs> we, we need to experience to people. we need to understand the human experience <laughs> so we don't kick schwarzenegger in the back yeah. ultimately is yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. yeah yeah no that's that's true and it's it's also <laughs> like it, it, I, I see what you're saying though right because you know when you see someone famous for the first time you know whoever it is there's always a part, at least in my mind, where I'm like, oh, that's what they look like. Yeah. Oh, they're a person. They're a person. Oh, look at them. They do things. Yeah. Oh, they're normal. Yeah, they're normal. Yeah, but, but, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. There is kind of like that moment of translation where they go from a, a, a 2D image in your on your screen or, or, or in a movie that you've seen into like just a person. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe there's something to maybe there's something to play with that. Maybe a, maybe maybe there's a Maybe the horror movie I should write is a, is essentially some sort of an allegory for like fame <laughs> devouring someone, ultimately becoming like a sentient entity and devouring and you know and like basically just devouring every piece of of, of a person you know without without them without them really understanding what's going on because <laughs> you'd always hear it's like I feel like fame is sort of like the same thing as. The, the metaphor is sort of the vampire thing where it's like how many how many vampire stories you've seen where someone's like I really want to be a vampire and they get turned into a vampire and they're like what have I done you know <laughs> because they kind of they sort of feel the soullessness of it and it's yes. like you don't know what you're wishing for until you it's sort of like the a warning for like be careful what you wish for you know yes. I almost sort of feel like you know being really famous is probably that way for some people where they're like oh wait it's not oh, yeah. at all what I thought it would be I don't want to be famous. Yeah. I've been around people who are famous. I don't want to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I, 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 I want to like, like, like. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's 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 weird. I, as someone who's been around, you're you're famous. <laughs> Not really though. Like I, have, like, yeah, cable. yeah. There's like a level of cable. Right. notoriety where it's like which is very comfortable for me which is the people who know who I am tend to be incredibly nice right and you know sometimes I'll get a nice table at a restaurant like it's like, like yeah. that's the nice yeah, part yeah you get perks yeah something. exactly yeah. oh I got to go to Disneyland to see the Star Wars thing a little bit early that's fun you know like yeah. I don't have to deal with you know, like where people people get in car wrecks because they're being chased by like that does not sound yeah that's, that's like the public owns you and your property and you fucking you know scary yeah, that part didn't, and what that must do to people's brains to yeah and and the the, the walls you must put up of course to protect to, to be protect protective. yourself yeah. and to to protect yourself from the the 
Yeah, just yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's weird. I I, uh, I I I don't think I want it for myself. <laughs> if I can avoid it, I something will. to think about as you make your uh, when you make your two hundred million dollar yeah uh, I mean, big budget movie. Yeah, but there's plenty of directors who whose names you could hear that you couldn't like imagine what they look like. Right. You know, you don't know what they look like, and right. and and I'm okay with being that guy. Well, I'm so <laughs> I'm so happy for you. And Thank congratulations. you. Congratulations, and uh, yeah, and then. You know, I, I, I'm excited to have you come back to talk about the next thing that you make, which will probably I, I, take a little while longer. You know, I do feel like the little present I have at the end of every movie is to come do this podcast. Oh, come I, on. No, I really do enjoy this podcast. One of my highlights of The Hive was coming and doing the podcast. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, well, so I think this, we did that at Meltdown. So it was yeah. even more like we're in, a, we're in a comic book store. Yeah, yeah. Doing a thing. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's really cool. Um, yeah, so I look forward to what room we'll be in. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost Meltdown. I saved that for Meltdown. Oh, my God, you did. I was looking at that thing going, where have I seen Yeah, it? yeah, it was on the roof of Meltdown. Oh, my God. I had all of the, the neon <laughs> restored. Wow. So I just don't t- keep it on during the podcast because it of buzzes. that buzz. Yeah. But it looks cool. Yeah, it's loud as fuck. Didn't, couldn't hear that from Sunset Boulevard. No. When that was up on the roof yeah, of Yeah, ne- neon's loud. That's the problem. Yeah. I know all right. Because I've... Do you have your own neon? No, but if, we, we, we did some shoots with neon. It was like, what is that sound? Someone needs to invent a quieter neon. Come on, science. (laughs) Get on that shit. All right. Um, Uh, That's it. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Thank you. Great to see you. The end! Welcome to Word Salad Wrap for episode number 1004 with Dave Yarvesky. Yarvo. Um, Go see Brightburn. That's my last thing uh, before I get into the word salad wrap, which, oh, okay, no, there's another last thing before I get into the word salad wrap. I'm, as I said, I'm in Nashville, and uh, I just have to thank anyone who is coming out to the stand-up shows, because it, you know, like, it, the, the, I like to, you know, I'll sign stuff after the shows and stuff, and it never fails to amaze me how friggin' nice um, the people are that come out to the shows or who listen to the podcast or who watch The Walking Dead or who watch The Wall or whatever it is. Uh, I just want to say you're nice and <laughs> really appreciate that. And just so you know, venues almost all the time will comment on, oh, the people that come out to your shows are like really nice. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. That uh, to have assembled a nice group of people uh, is a tremendous accomplishment, in my opinion, and I really appreciate it. So I want to thank you for being you and for being nice and coming out to these shows. Um, Nashville's a really, as I said, I love the town, uh, but since I was here the last time, they've implemented this thing called pedal taverns, where people like group bicycle while they're drinking. (laughs) It's I mean, I, you may have seen them. I feel like maybe they're in Vegas. I don't know. They're not everywhere, but it's it's like a table on wheels, and then everyone has pedals, and they're drinking and pedaling. Because you know what drinking needs? Physical exercise. Yeah. Doing some cardio shots. It's just like saying, like, yeah, I want to drink a keg of beer, but I got to get my steps in. I got to get them in. Um, so that is, uh, uh, that's, and also they super clog traffic too. <laughs> so when you're waiting to go somewhere and you see a bunch of people hooting and hollering cause they're getting tanked in traffic, it's, uh, it's a thing I gotta tell you, but now on to, uh, more positive things, which is I can finally talk about, 
um, for anyone, and this is a, if you don't really care about Disneyland, again, this might be the time to bail out if you haven't already. But uh, my old buddy Will Wheaton and I, a week ago, got to see a sneak preview of Galaxy's Edge, the new, I mean, we'll just call it Star Wars Land, because it's basically what it is. Even though they're not calling it Star Wars Land, it's Star Wars Land. It's the first expansion of the park in who knows how long, but they uh, created a bunch more space by stealing some backstage space. And, um, you know, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but I'll give you some highlights. It's incredible. It's completely immersive. You forget you're in Disneyland when you're there. They've done a really great job of, like, forced perspective mountains and stuff. It really just feels like you're in a space out... It feels like you're in an outpost. Um, and... There are, uh, there's of course a lot of shops, <laughs> which I don't mind because we bought a bunch of stuff, but there's a place where you can assemble your own droids and give them their own little personalities. Uh, you can buy Jedi stuff, Sith stuff. You can buy pretty much anything your heart desires that's Star Wars related. And also, um, there, if you, if you want to drop 25 grand, <laughs> you can get a customized R2, uh, droid. Which, oh, it's so te- it's tempting to like. Should I can I scrape that together to get this thing? And you're like, okay, well, wait a minute, maybe I'm getting a little too crazy. But um, but apparently people are buying those. So there's uh, little stations where you can get blue milk and green milk, which I think are sort of akin to the butter beer that you get at Universal, but it's just kind of like a sugary, slushy drink. Um, and then there is a cantina. Like a, a full canteen inside. Will and I didn't have... We couldn't go to that because the line was so incredibly long. There are ultimately going to be two rides in, Star, in Galaxy's Edge. One of them is not open yet, and I think probably doesn't open until the fall. Uh, but the one that we did get to go uh, do was the Smuggler's Run. So you do pilot the Millennium Falcon, and you you go in with... Um, it's a, People go in groups of six. Everyone has a job. Uh, mine was to steer left and right. Will's was to steer uh, up and down. And then there are, like, engineers, and there are people... Uh, there's, like, weapons. Uh, and so it's super fun. And it's and, and I do get kind of motion sick in, in like, motion-y types of sim rides. Uh, but it was worth it uh, because it's a blast. And so, you know, I recommend it. I'm sure wait times are going to be the, the thing to, to deal with. But... Um, you know, it is, especially when the second ride opens uh, in the fall, which I, the rumor I heard is that the budget for the second ride is like four times more than even the Smuggler's One Run, uh, run one. So uh, I'm sure that will be pretty spectacular as well. There's a full size Millennium Falcon, there's a full size X Wing, Land Speeders, uh, TIE Fighters. I mean, it's. Oh, and I think the best part is this really was probably one of my favorite parts. Um, the cast members really go out of their way to interact with with people as as they're walking through to make it fully immersive. And so you will see like rebels running around, uh, hiding, uh, ducking behind things, and then you know like a whole first order troop will walk by. Uh, and Will and I bought plushy porg puppets because why wouldn't we? And uh, there were <laughs> cast members would come up in you know in the standard kind of like. I work in a space outpost gear and be like, what are you, what are you doing with that? Surely you're going to eat that. Why are you carrying that around? <laughs> and they were berating the porks. So it's really fun. It's fully immersive. And, uh, and I was so 
thankful to go and uh, lucky that we got to, to see it early. So I'm just passing on the experience to you. I'm going to post a bunch of pictures about it. Um, Will and I went. Uh, it was just a, just a boy's day. Um, poor uh, My poor wife was... Uh, had an infection after we came back for like a throat infection and a sinus infection after we came back from Europe. And uh, just so you know, I did offer not to go because she was sick. And Lids was like, no, you are absolutely going. You have to go, please. I'm just going to sleep all day and I will feel better if you go. And I said, well, okay, if it'll make you happy. Uh, but, uh, of course I was secretly thrilled that she was so cool about me going because it's Galaxy's Edge. And so I'm going to take her later in the summer. But, uh, what an incredible day to spend with a, one of my oldest and dearest friends who we had been going to Disneyland since like 1991, I think. When we were just, uh, bratty teenagers, we would, uh, we got our annual passes and would go every night. Back when Disneyland was a little less crowded, you just go every night at like, you get that residence, Southern California residence pass. You show up at like 10 o'clock at night. You got two hours before the park closed. And uh, back then, it was, back in those days, uh, it would kind of empty out between 10 and midnight. So we could just ride stuff multiple times. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post some pictures. But uh, it's really great to, it's really great to have friends for so long and that we're still doing the same silly shit that we were doing when we were bratty teenagers so uh thanks for listening to word salad rap i hope if you are a star wars fan or a disneyland fan and you're excited about galaxy's edge that uh this was uh enlightening for you so uh thanks so much and uh i appreciate you and i will see you in your ears very soon i was gonna i start seeing star wars music but i'm like wait is that copywritten am i allowed to Am I allowed to do that? Maybe I should not do this right now. Maybe that's not legal. Can't get that low. Can't get that low. I gotta go get raspier. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.